Welcome to church. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor at Bible Center. And I just want to start by thanking you for coming out on such a beautiful day. Will you give yourself a hand for being here? Yeah. There are several folks I want to thank, and there's no way to mention them all by name, but I want to thank all those who were here early, like 6 a.m., unloading trucks, uh, ushering, working behind the scenes, loading and unloading to make this possible. I want to say thanks to you. I want to say thanks to Stephen Van Horn. Stephen really is the, uh, yeah, I don't even know where he is, but there he is, yeah. Uh, So Stephen, this is his brainchild, and he works so hard behind the scenes to put this together. I love him. I love what the gospel's done in his life and doing in his life. It's good to call him friend. You know, one of my friends told me earlier today that uh, this is really, really efficient as a pastor because, you see, today people can make decisions for Jesus, and they can be baptized all in the same day. Uh, So it's a great opportunity for us to gather together. Thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the video. The video is all about good news, and that's why we've dedicated this day to the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are blessings, there are gifts given when you believe the good news, when you make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. And so in the next few minutes, I want to share with you what those blessings are Actually, three big blessings that you receive when you make the choice to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're the greatest blessings, the greatest gifts that any of us could ever receive in our lifetime. But a message like this, it has a downside to it. And here's the downside. The downside is that I can't make you believe this message. I can't force you or somehow trick you into believing the gospel message, and I can't give you these three gifts. But I'm asking the Lord to help us give our attention over the next 20 minutes or so so that you can see if this message applies for you. You see, if this message is the reason that God had you here today, and there really is a lot on the line. And I know that so many of you believe that, which is why you're here. Eternal life is on the line, perhaps, for you. For some, heaven and hell are on the line today. Your joy, your satisfaction is on the line. And so we're asking God to use His Word to show us what these three gifts are. And may they help you, may they challenge you, may they encourage you to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. God's Word tells us what these three gifts are, and so I'm going to read in my Bible. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app, you can do that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the words will also be on the screen if that helps you to follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength and considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am 
the worst. Believing the good news will give you three gifts today. And the first gift is that you'll receive a new Lord. When you put your faith in Jesus, you receive a new Lord. In verse 12, Paul writes and he says about the Lord Jesus. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 14, he says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me. One of Paul's favorite titles for Jesus was the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation, the the Apostle John said that Jesus is going to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, if you've ever seen a movie or read a book about maybe previous generations, you're familiar with the concept of a Lord. A Lord was a landowner. A Lord was a master. A Lord was a boss. We have lords today. We have landlords here in the city of Charleston. Maybe you have a landlord or or maybe you are a landlord. It's somebody who owns property. It's somebody who essentially can call the shots. They, They are in charge of a property, of a people, or maybe even of a nation. We find in God's word that when the Apostle Paul preached the gospel to a crowd like this, he called people to believe in Jesus Christ, to accept him as the Lord of their lives. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, Paul says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, For if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today you have a choice to make. Moses put it this way. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we all have several things in common today. One thing is death, another is taxes, Another is that we're all going to get wet. We have those three things in common today. But there's something else we have in common, and that is that all of us are going to leave here today with someone as the Lord of our lives. Somebody will be your Lord when you leave today. One option is that yourself can be the Lord of your life. You can put your career, you can put your goals, you can put your dreams, you can put your addictions and your people pleasing and your habits, you can leave today with yourself on the throne of your life. Jesus went so far as to say that if you are on the throne of your life, essentially, knowing it or not, Satan is on the throne of your life. So that's one option. The other option is that you can put the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and leave here trusting Him and Him alone for your salvation. But when you make the decision to trust in Jesus, you're essentially saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I'll read you the testimony of Loretta Cole. Two weeks ago, Loretta was baptized at our outdoor baptism. And Loretta writes this, Throughout my life, I attended church regularly and tried to comply with church rules and regulations. This was prior to attending Bible Center. I considered myself a religious person. I worshiped God and prayed. I thought that by being a good person and doing good works, I might have a chance to go to heaven when I died. However, she writes, 
the thought of dying terrified me. I wondered if I was good enough and if I did enough. The church I came from taught that all salvation comes through the church. She writes that they taught her outside the church, her church, there was no salvation and that one's final salvation depends on the state of her soul at death. According to them, she says, dying in the state of grace, you went to heaven. But if you died in the state of rebellion against God and the church, you went to hell. She continued and said, I never appreciated or understood why so many Christians proudly talked about the day they were saved. She said, it sounded like to me they were carrying their faith to an extreme. But my late husband, Bill, who's now in heaven with Jesus, Bill's pictured here. She said, we had many discussions about what that meant. And after some time, I began to understand and realize that God wanted to save me from eternal death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Jesus Christ our Lord. I am now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join me in just celebrating Loretta's testimony? That is huge. When she put her faith in Jesus, she got a new Lord. But there's a second gift that we want you to receive today. Not only a new Lord, but number two, a new life. You'll receive a new life. Paul writes this in verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. In verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now in this passage, Paul deals with the problem that we all deal with every day. We see it in the news, we see it in our own lives, and that is the problem of evil. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus or you're not quite sure about the Christianity we're talking about today, we all would have to admit there, the world has a serious problem with evil. It seems like every generation in every part of the world experiences some kind of war and conflict. All of our families and extended families, we, we experience conflict and division and arguing. We know that in our world there is uh, prejudice and, and, and there's abuse and all sorts of injustice. We look at our world, we look at our news, and we know there is a problem with evil. And the Apostle Paul here in this passage reminds us that the problem isn't something outside of us. It's not something out here, but actually the problem is in here. And he's quoting Jesus. Jesus said, word for word, For out of the heart came evil thoughts and murderers and sexual immorality and theft and false teachers and slander. Butrin Russell wasn't a religious man, but as a British philosopher, I, I loved what he wrote about the human heart. He said, It's in our hearts that the evil lies, and it's from our hearts that it must be plucked out. Albert Einstein wrote, it's easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. 
Here in verse 13, the apostle Paul says before he was a believer, he was actually a blasphemer. He just simply meant that he did not believe that Jesus is God. He said he was a persecutor. His, His whole job was to travel around about a 150 mile radius around Jerusalem and haul Christians off to prison because they were going against the Jewish, the established religion of their day and of their families. He said he was a a violent man. Now we know that outwardly he was violent, but the word interestingly for violent in verse 13 means hubris. It means pride. It means arrogance. And Paul was saying that it was actually his arrogance, his religious pride that caused him not to be concerned or to even care about the rights of others. And so Paul was the kind of guy that was faithful to the synagogue. He was faithful to read his Bible. He was faithful to pray. On the outside, the apostle Paul, before he was, before he was a follower of Jesus, looked like a very religious person. But he said on the inside, I was so proud of myself. And it was my pride that caused me from depending on Jesus. I'll ask you today, what is it that's causing you to not depend on Jesus for salvation? Is it because you're a good person? Is it because you joined the church? Is it because you were baptized as a child? Is it because of your religious or political affiliation or or your morality? You can look around and you can say, hey, this person is much worse than me. That was the attitude that Paul had. And he said it was causing him not to trust in Jesus because he thought he was good enough. And in verse 15, Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. Now, we might argue with Paul. We might say, now, Paul, you're not the worst of sinners. Or maybe we would say, hey, maybe you used to be the worst of sinners, but Paul, you're not the worst of sinners anymore because now you're a follower of Jesus. And it would be true that when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a saint. All of that is true. But Paul didn't say, I used to be the worst of sinners. Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. And here's an important truth. Those of us that have experienced the grace of God in our lives, those of us that have truly come to faith in Jesus, it's because we've come to the place in our lives where we realize we deserve to go to hell. We do not deserve the free gift of salvation. The Apostle Paul saw himself as the one with the hammer who nailed Jesus to the cross. And today, if you'll see yourself as the one with the hammer who nailed Jesus to the cross, then you are on your way to salvation. God doesn't save people who are good enough. God only saves people who know they are sinners. From time to time, someone will find out that I'm the pastor at Bible Center, and they'll say, hey, um, you know so-and-so who goes to your church? And they'll remind me of a few of you. I won't say who. Um, I won't call you by name, but they'll remind me of a few of you, somebody in town at a restaurant or in a conversation. Well, do you know so-and-so who goes to your church? Do you know what they used to do? Right? I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but you know who you are. 
And, and they'll say, you know, they go to your church. If you only knew the kind of stuff that they've done before you got here. Now, I have different responses. I'm going to confess. I'm trying to learn to be a mature, unemotional leader, right? Whose face never gets red and who never, you know, never wants to argue. Just sure, man, I'll pray for you. I'm on my way to that. Maybe one day I'll get there. But what I usually look at him and say is this. You know, church is for people who need to be in church. Church is for people who need to be in church. And I'm so glad they go to my church. And I'd love you to go to my church too because God saves gossips just like God saves people who are immoral. The Apostle Paul knew who he was. And he says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love who are in Christ Jesus. The idea of being poured out abundantly is the idea of a river overflowing its banks. It means that it just kept overflowing like the Canal River does several times a year. He said, God gave me grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment that I do deserve, but grace is getting the, the gifts of God that I don't deserve. And the grace of God doesn't stop when you make the decision to be a Christian. Today, if you choose to follow Jesus, God's grace won't stop, but in some sense, it just starts. Maybe you're afraid that if you become a Christian today, you won't be able to live the Christian life. You say, man, I really do want to follow Jesus. I want to believe the message on that video, but I'm not sure that I can live the Christian life. I've got good news for you. The person sitting beside you, they can't live the Christian life either. And the people sitting around you and the pastor sitting on this platform, there's none of us that can live the Christian life without the grace of God. And God says, if you'll believe that message and you'll trust that message, he will begin to transform your life and he will grow your life and he will develop your life. The UC basketball team is here today. Where is Lamont and the basketball team? We have the UC basketball team stand. Let's have them stand. Yeah. So. Awesome, guys. Thanks for being here. I want to use you as an illustration. You can sit down. I didn't ask you for permission, but I hope this is okay. Uh, our very own Pastor Mike is actually working them out several days a week. Coach Osborne invited him to do that, and, and he's been working them out. And so I've been hearing stories. Uh, I, I won't mention any names, but he'll tell me, you know, so-and-so could hardly walk after their workout today. Or so-and-so, or man, they, they hit the trash can pretty hard after the workout today. Why is, is he doing that? It's because he's developing them, he's training them to, by the way, win the national championship this year. Right, guys? That's what it's about. Yeah, that's right. That's what the grace of God will do in your life. If you follow Jesus today, it's not like you're going to walk out of here and everything in your life is going to be a bed of roses, but God will begin to train you and transform you with his good news. I'll introduce you to... Sandabel Rhodes. Many of you know Sandabel. She is here today and gave me permission to use her testimony. A few months ago, Sandabel was baptized and she wrote this I was born in Damascus, Syria, when I was about a month old. My parents baptized me in the Orthodox Church. 
When I was a year and a half, we moved to the United States, and they reared me in a fine Christian home and taught me to follow and love Jesus with all my heart. But as I grew up, I wasn't always the best kid. Even though I was an okay kid, sometimes I did dumb things. Most of us did dumb things. And as I grew into adulthood and entered workforce, I was increasingly lonely and unfulfilled and looking for confirmation in all the wrong places. Six years ago, I reached my lowest point. My life was in mass confusion and my soul cried out for Jesus. I had known from the time I was a child that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again. But something special, something deeper happened that day. When I gave my life to Jesus, my circumstances did not change. I was tempted with all the same things and I had all the same burdens as before. But now I had Christ. I had his comfort, his protection, and his grace. Within the last six years, I met my husband, Charlie, and we started a family together. God has given me things I didn't even know I wanted. I have the joys of being a parent, and my daughters are teaching me what God thinks of me as his daughter. I have new life. By the grace of God, he'll give you a new Lord, and by the grace of God, he will give you today a new life. There's one more gift I want to share before we're done. Not only a Lord, not only a life, but lastly, a love. In verse 14, Paul writes this. He says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The man writing this knew what it looked like to receive the gift of love. Not only did God love him, but he began to love others in a way that he had never loved him before, after he put his faith in Christ. You see, before Paul was saved, again, he he would murder people because they were Christian. Stephen is the first martyr of the early church. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, after he decides to follow Jesus, he's in the marketplace and and he sees Stephen's widow and Stephen's three small children, knowing that before he was a Christian, he was responsible for taking their lives, their father's life. And now he becomes a man of love. It was the Apostle Paul who penned the words about the fruit of the Spirit. I was at Starbucks recently talking with a friend and they were just saying, hey, we need to have a a list. Give us the list of what we need to do once we become a Christian. On one hand, there really is no list. Love God, love your neighbor is what Jesus said. But if you want a list, it's Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, discipline. Against such there is no law. When you put your faith in Jesus, you start to love others in a way that you've never loved them before. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to receive the gift of love and receive new love for others, but also, lastly, new love for God. He says in verse 17, he finishes this whole paragraph with this like, this emotional response, almost like country roads at the end of a WVU game, all right? He says in verse 17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul can't help but just praise Jesus and talk about Jesus because he's got a new love that was given to him by divine grace. One of the greatest ways you know that you're a follower of Jesus, that truly God has changed your heart, is that you don't mind talking about Jesus. You might not have it all figured out, I don't have it all figured out, but you love talking about Jesus. Now we all have different, uh, we have different uh, personalities. Some of you may love to talk about Jesus loudly and you get all emotional and emotive. And others of you, that's not your personality and that's okay. But if you have never confessed Jesus or talked about Jesus, why would you think that you truly are a Christian? Jesus says, he that confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And today, if you truly understand the gospel, and you truly believe the gospel, God will give you a new Lord. He will give you a new life. And he will put a new love in your heart that in your own way, you will love to let people know, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm thinking today about Avon Coburn. Avon, just yesterday, was inducted into the WVU Hall of Fame. And Avon's not here with us this morning. I believe he's still up. He said he's going to be enjoying all the festivities of the weekend in Morgantown. But he texted me a couple days ago and said I could use his testimony. He was baptized a couple weeks ago and Avon wrote this. As long as I remember I was a believer in Christ. I had to because I grew up with both parents addicted to drugs. Moving from place to place, living with different family members and even in a shelter as a freshman in high school. With that upbringing, I did a lot of things I'm not proud of, but of someone, but Jesus kept me safe. In 2001, I met a beautiful young lady who said her parents' main requirement for the person that married their daughter is that he had to be saved. I had no idea what that was, but the spark ignited a fire in me. On April 11, 2004, I was in a church service in Lawndale, New Jersey, Every word that the pastor was speaking, it was like he was saying my name before it. I even thought at one point that, that we connected eyes. From that day, I've seen God show up in a mighty way. Praise report after praise report. Breakthrough after breakthrough. I truly knew what it meant to depend on Jesus. And even when we didn't have a dime to our name and all of our bills were paid and we never missed a meal... Through my darkest times, Jesus still blessed me. My faith has grown and I have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ that will not perish. I know I have eternal life. You know, this morning, if you want to follow Jesus, here's my encouragement. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This isn't a decision that your parents can make for you. But you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not a decision your spouse can make for you. Your grandparents can make for you. Your pastor can make for you. But you individually must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. I was thinking about what the gospel 
has done in many of your hearts and in my heart. This week we have been praying for all of you who don't know Jesus that today will be the day, now will be the accepted time, and in a moment I'm going to give you the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. Will you pray with me? And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Father, I pray for every man, woman, and child here who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, I pray that right now on this rainy day that they'll be able to look back 30 years from now and remember that in a day of horrible weather, but they came to a rainy service and trusted Jesus. Lord, we depend on your sovereign grace. Open their heart to faith. Allow them to understand the gospel. But I pray right now they would become a follower of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give you the opportunity right there where you sit to trust Christ. There's no set prayer in the Bible, but in Romans 10, 13, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to trust Jesus, will you pray this prayer with me in your heart right now? I'll pray. You can just pray this quietly in your heart, sincerely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again the third day. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Give me new life. And Lord, help me to love. Today, I follow Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, between me, you, and the Lord, let me ask you for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it. I will not embarrass you in any way. But in the quietness of this moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you hold up your hand just so I can pray for you? Pastor Matt, I prayed that, I meant that. I see one, two, three, four adults, two children on my right. Thank God for you. You can put your hands down up there on my right. Four adults, two children. How about over here on my left? You say, Pastor Matt, I prayed that prayer. I meant that. Thank God for you, ma'am. And thank God for you, ma'am. And for you, sir. Three more adults over on my left. Pastor Matt, I prayed it. I meant it. And I'm glad that I did. Along with these nine. Yes, sir, I see that young lady there. Thank God for you. There's ten. Pastor Matt, I prayed it. I meant it. And I'm glad that I did. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Anybody else? Pray for me. Remember me in your prayer. I prayed it. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. I'm going to ask you ten, I believe three children and seven adults, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you look up at me just for a moment? I want to give you a word of encouragement. Up here on the screen, we've got a, a text number. I'm going to ask you if you would today, even before you leave, to text the word believe to this number. I personally am going to follow up with you this week. That's my commitment to you. If you prayed this prayer, you meant that, you're glad that you did, I'd like to follow up with you and help you on this journey of the Christian life. If you prayed it, you meant it, and you're glad that you did, just text this number to me today 
and I want to follow up with you. If you type in the word believe, within a few seconds, it'll give you the opportunity to give me your name. This comes directly to me. If it doesn't get you a message right away, type it again. It will get to you, and it will get to me. Today, you who prayed this prayer, we've got to have a prayer station at the front. We're going to have a prayer station at the back after the service. I would invite you to stop by their prayer station. Let them know, hey, I prayed that prayer. They've got a gift they'd like to give you to help you on your steps of the Christian life. Let me pray for you again. Father, thank you for these seven adults and three children. Lord, getting wet will get wet a thousand days if it means one young man, one young woman, one senior man, one senior woman, one child, one... God, if it means one coming into your kingdom, God, we'll do this every Sunday for a thousand days. Father, I pray for these ten that you'd help us to be a church that helps them grow in the faith and matures in the faith. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Think about the words of the song as the band sings.